Okay, to finish out the day, I think that we have uh, the perfect person to do so. Um, Father Jared Lease, I sort of told you about him earlier. It's not Father Lies. I had to tell my Southern Baptist family. It's not Father Lies, Father Lease. Was this German or French? German, right? Father Lease. Father Lease has done many things in the Diocese of Wichita uh, that I've been uh, the honor to help him out with sometimes. Um, right now he is the, what do they call you, Lord Chancellor Pastor at St. Francis of Assisi, because uh, there's like 16 priests under him. He's, he's just a great guy, and he doesn't ever have time to do anything, and he took time out here for us. Is that, is that setting too big of a stage for you, Father? <laughs> Please help me welcome Father Jared Lee. <laughs> Good morning, good evening, not even morning, my goodness, I started over there, but you know what's really funny is whenever you walk over next to the speaker with a microphone, he, ah, he killed it, look at what he's doing, <laughs> awesome, well let's begin with St. John Vianney, and so did you know that it is an indulgence if you pray to the saint on the day of the saint's feast? And one easy way to do that is to use the opening prayer at Mass. So this is an opening prayer at Mass. And if you pray this, then the church gives you grace plus grace. Really cool, right? And in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And we pray together. Almighty and merciful God, who made the priest St. John Vianney wonderful in his pastoral zeal, Grant, we pray, that through his intercession and example, we may in charity win brothers and sisters for Christ and attain with them eternal glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a seat. Are we good? Are we good to go? Test one, two. Test, test, test. Are we good? Okay. You have no idea. Well, we're going to keep doing it, and if this doesn't work, then I might just drop the microphone, because I bet you I'm loud enough that you guys could hear me, you know? Rental. It's, it's a rental. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, we came from garage sales. That worked. Awesome. So, at any rate, St. John Vianney. St. John Vianney, we all know, a man who's a very holy priest, um, himself over to sacrifice and prayer for his people, spent long hours inside the confessional. What you don't know about St. John oftentimes of evangelization that he had done as a priest. So ours, the little town that he went to, was not a lot of holiness. Ours was actually a place that had a happening in ours. There was a lot of alcohol in the area, and very few people went to Mass. One of the things about St. John Vianney in my talk about discipleship, stewardship, and evangelization is that St. John Vianney is one of the best examples of an evangelizing priest because by the time he was gone from ours, there was no more gambling in ours. People were crowding the church for Sunday Mass. Confession was a regular event, and he was able to drive out of ours so much of the gossip and anger and hatred and jealousy and extortion and stealing and all that stuff that was there by simple, faithful preaching of the gospel. And he did this so well that at the end of his life, he was actually wanting wanted to I'm done. I'm going to go to a monastery, I'm going to pray for the rest of my life, I'm going to be happy. The people loved him so much that they started ringing the town bells, they went and got pitchforks, and posted themselves to the entire town until they caught St. John Vianney and forced him into the confessional. All right, that's successful priesthood. If I'm ever leaving Wichita, people be kind of like, <laughs> just keep on going. Disciple stewardship and evangelization. Bishop Kimmy also has written a prayer for us, and this is a prayer that he had said. So let us again enter into prayer as we say, Help us, Lord, so that we would hold nothing back, that no sacrifice would be too great, too costly, or too unthinkable. Send us, Lord, heroes and heroines of stewardship, saints on the journey whose walk as disciples inspire us to imitate and pattern our own lives after. Put on our path, Lord, men, women, and children who will model for us, for our diocese, how to live, how to serve, how to love the Lord with all our hearts. Let this be our prayer. Let this be our greatest desire and intention. Bishop Kimmy. Stewardship. So many of 
you have experienced stewardship, different of you have had different education about stewardship. So there's a lot of different variety of people here. If you've never heard the definition of stewardship, this is the definition of stewardship. So stewardship is the grateful response of a Christian disciple who recognizes and receives God's gifts and shares these gifts in love of God and neighbor. That's a wonderful way for us to summarize the idea, the mentality, the experience. And then let's move on to the happy thing. And just know I'm going to resolve this. So what I want to say to you first is you are not necessary. Thank you, Father. Love you, too. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's why I had to preface this. You know, another way to say it is you're not needed. Wasn't that a horrible feeling? You're not needed. Like, not feeling needed, not feeling like that. So, for example, if you stopped existing right now, the world would continue to exist. You know, well, thank you, Father Jared. You just made my 13 reasons why, 14 reasons why. Not, now what are you doing to me here, you know? But if you stop to exist, do you recognize that in God, creation doesn't make him bigger or smaller? It doesn't make him more glorious or more beautiful. It doesn't make him more intelligent or more giving. God is love. God is perfect. Nothing that he has done for us on our behalf affects him in any way. Because if I stop existing, the world goes on. What I can see in myself is a certain unnecessary reality. Now, I remember as a high school teenager having a hard time recognizing that sometimes I didn't fit. It wasn't quite right. Who am I? Where am I? How am I? The rejection of friends, the feeling of isolation, even around friends, that feeling that I'm just not like them even though they're the ones I like the best. But if you're not needed then why did God create you at all? Now we're going to get to the resolution of this. If you're not needed, why would have God bothered to create you at all? And the answer is, you're wanted. And there's a greater privilege in being wanted by God than being needed by anybody. You see, being wanted is a pure choice for no other reason than you yourself. If you were needed by God, then he might be able to use you. I mean, imagine if you walked up to your mom and dad and say, Mom and dad, I really don't want you, but I need you. Mom would turn around her wedding ring and slap your face. I mean, wouldn't that be hurtful, right? But if you went up to your mom and dad and said, Mom and dad, even if I had everything that I need... I would always want you. There's an intrinsic privilege in that. You're not needed, but you are wanted for who you are. You are the reason why God loves you. There's nothing you do, nothing you can say, nothing you've done or haven't done. God wants you for yourself as you are. And so he created you. Because we recognize that God created us, my entire gift of self, my entire life is sheer gift. The only adequate response that I can give is gratitude. Gratitude. It's like Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is a story in Genesis chapter 14, and it says, Melchizedek brought out bread and wine, and being a priest of God, blessed Abraham. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. You know, the funny thing about the story of Melchizedek is that Melchizedek ran into Abram, too soon to be Abraham, after Abram, I'm sorry, Abram ran into Melchizedek after he won a big battle. So Abram went down, he fought the Amalekites, won the war, and he came back with all the spoils of war, all the animals, all the gold, all the money, treasures, everything else like that. So they're on a triumphal march back to their homeland, and then... Abram runs into Rafiki. You know who Rafiki is? The monkey and the lion king. Right? Melchizedek is our original Rafiki. Melchizedek is sitting there, and Abram sees him, and Melchizedek praises God with bread and wine, which you guys can see the Eucharist inside that. And notice that's Genesis chapter 14, some theological connections. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. 
out of gratitude for the victory. Now notice what this is. Abraham's gift was not bribery. Abraham didn't give a tenth of everything so that he could win the war. He already won the war. He didn't have to give after that. But as an act of gratitude, he shared from what he received to honor the gift of the living God who gave victory. When you recognize that your life is gift, we first need to recognize we don't live as stewards to bribe God. And consider if that's how you pray. If I was to ask you the conditions for your prayer, would you say that you pray most often when you need something? Do you turn God into the divine pop machine? Lord, I have an intercession. I need an A on my test. So I'm going to pray and push the button. And you're going to pop out an A on that test. And if you didn't pop out an A, I'm going to push that button again. And I'm going to shake the machine. And I'm going to kick the machine. And I'm going to walk away saying the stupid machine doesn't work. Because you didn't kick out what I wanted. Well, that's treating prayer like bribery. But Melchizedek showed gratitude even after the victory was given. We pray in gratitude because the God gave us everything. Because God gave us everything, everything we have, do you realize you received your body for free? And anything else that you can get that you think is cool in any way whatsoever is only because you have a body that was first a free gift. So I got an eye watch that I got like four weeks ago and then I lost like two weeks ago. It's horrible. I have no idea where my eye watch is. Eye watch is ooh, whatever. But it's only because I had a body that I could even wear an eye watch. Everything that you have depends on the gift God has already given who wanted you to exist for your own sake. You are precious in God's eyes, it says in the book of Isaiah, and he loves you. Because everything that we have is gift, a steward shares that gift in love. It's natural to share. You know, it's kind of funny whenever I see a bishop come to St. Francis or anywhere, and there's youth around the bishop, the bishop will bring out like his box that has his crozier and his miter in it. There's always something kind of cool whenever you can put the miter and the crozier together and hand them to the bishop. But what that is, is a desire to serve so that he can be shown respect. You know, if a friend comes over to your house, it's not unlikely that you would make sure they have something to drink or something to eat. Because a sign of care is to share out of a respect for that other person. So a person who recognizes they're gifted has gratitude in their heart, and as part of the recognition of giftedness, they share that out of love. And this is the story of the, of the widow of Zarephath. So Elijah was walking along, and he comes up to a widow. And this is a pretty radical story. I'm not sure how many of you have ever experienced true poverty, like destitute poverty, like we're going to eat this meal, but we're not exactly sure where the money's going to come for the next meal. Many people have experienced that, and they know what it's like to live from dollar to dollar, paycheck to paycheck. Elijah's walking through the desert. He comes up on this widow, and he says to this widow, he says, can you make me a little cake? And the woman said, if I make you a little cake, I was about ready to go in and make this for us so that my son and I could have a little cake. And then we were going to die. There was a horrible famine in the area. It was her last bit of flour, her last bit of oil. And Elijah said to her, don't worry. I tell you, the flour will not go empty and the oil will not go dry. But please make me a cake so that I can have something to eat. Out of faith, the woman made the cake and for an entire year, she had flour and oil, and it never went empty and never ran dry. There's something about stewardship that is miraculous in itself. 
And if you yourself have ever been at a point where it's kind of like, you know, I know I'm supposed to give some of my time or I'm supposed to take a little bit of time and go volunteer at this particular thing and I have no desire to do that. And consider that you may have done that. That you went somewhere and your mom and dad made you go. And you got there and your attitude sucked. You're like, hate this, don't want to be here. But by the time you were done with that experience, you recognized that you couldn't tell your mom and dad you enjoyed it because then they'd say, see, we're right. (laughs) But there was a joy that you received out of giving of yourself that was unexpected. Part of the spirituality of stewardship is when you share, you also receive an incredible amount of joy. But it takes faith. It takes real faith to believe that the gifts you have been given are adequate And those gifts from a God who loves you so much that he wants you for your own sake ask you to share those gifts. And even when you feel like I have nothing else to give, he will bless your gift if you live in faith. And the biggest blessing that you will get from a life well lived is joy. True joy. So a steward then has this total gift. There is something whenever we recognize that I am totally a gift, that the only real adequate response is a total gift back. And there's a lot of people will say, and I'm sure that you may have heard this too, that Wichita is so blessed to have so many vocations, right? Not just priestly vocations, but also religious vocations, men, women. We have so many vocations. So last year, not this year, but the year before this one, we had 10 men who were ordained for the diocese, but many people don't know is we had another five men ordained that same year for other areas that came from Wichita. And there are people who ask ask me, ask many people, what is it about Wichita that makes it so easy for a young woman to give herself to religious life or a young man to give himself over to the seminary? And my answer is this. If we're really a steward who recognizes that everything I am is a gift, that I, my life was free, poured out for me, given to me because God wants me, it is a small step to recognize that my life is the only adequate gift I can ever give back to God. Now, this is marriage, right? You know, on marriage, the day of marriage, people don't get married for one another because of what they have. As a matter of fact, this is a true story. So there was a marriage that took place in St. Joe, Missouri, The particular person was the daughter of a man who made a genetic biological business that was splicing genes for seeds. Boomed. He was a billionaire. So his daughter wanted to get married in a Catholic church. They had a Catholic marriage, but his daughter didn't like what the church looked like. So her father paid to have the church renovated just for her wedding. On the day of her wedding... She had flowers brought in, flown on a helicopter from Hawaii for this. And because she wanted to have a horse-drawn carriage on a cobblestone road, they ripped up the asphalt for two blocks in front of the church so she could be drawn on a horse-drawn carriage on a cobblestone road. This wedding was in a magazine as one of the top ten nicest weddings in the United States that year. She was divorced in three months. Because what she had in mind was not the gift of self, but something selfish in the gift. You see, real marriage is admitting the fact that the only way I'm going to be happy in this vocation is if I give myself to someone. And the only gift that can equal my gift of self to someone else is their free gift of self. Marriage is entrusting yourself wholeheartedly to another person and receiving that trust back. So it is with religious vocations, priesthood, religious life, priests, sisters, brothers, however that might be. A steward who knows that everything is a gift has no problem then understanding that myself is the best gift that I can give back to God. And so St. Paul tells us, says, what do you possess that you do not have? What do you, I'm sorry, what do you possess that you've not received? What do you possess that you've not received? Consider the clothes that you're wearing right now. I did not make this shirt. 
I have no idea where this shirt, I don't know where the material for this shirt came from. I do know that this is 100% cotton, and since it's 100% cotton, it had to come from some cotton farm. Somebody had to farm that cotton, had to go off to mill, yada, 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 you can go on through that. There are probably hundreds of people who got me to where I got this shirt. All I did was take a few bucks, lay it down on a counter, and take the shirt home, and then I start wearing it with a tongue depressor. I have no idea why priests wear tongue depressors. You see that? Ah, it's kind of weird. It's just awkward. Little piece of plastic. You know, who came up with that one day? Bunch of bishops around. It's like, yeah, let's, let's wear plastic. Yeah, let's do that. I don't know. The clothes that you have, you've received them. And they were a product of so many other people's talents. Everything that you have, you've received, including your very self, from your parents as a gift of God. So St. Paul tells, I'm sorry, St. James tells us, every perfect and good gift comes from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. An attitude that we want to have in life is how gifted we are. And sometimes it's good to take in the very basic gifts. So everybody take in a deep breath. Roll it back out. You know, if you did that a lot, you'd actually get lightheaded because more oxygen is going into your system. Have you ever been thankful for breath? I was once. I was water skiing. Mom and dad, we were big water skiers. I've been a slalomer ever since I was seven years old. And so I got a little bit bigger. And I was still wearing the same life jacket that I was wearing whenever I was smaller. So we were slaloming on Lake Cheney, and I fell over backwards. It was a spectacular fall fell over backwards, and the jacket went up to where my arms were pinned. So the jacket top, the jacket top was up here, and the water line was about an inch above my nose. Now, it's a life jacket, right? So you're floating with all your weight down below, so your point of balance is right here. So in order to get breath, I had to start throwing backwards and throwing backwards. And I, well, all dad sees is his son looking like a dolphin upside down in the water. <laughs> so he goes rushing around and jumps in the water and gets that jacket. You know, I was losing my breath. Another time that I had an experience of losing my breath, I was up in Alaska with my brothers and we were doing whitewater rafting. And the guy up there thought it'd be really funny if this Kansan, who has no idea how cold glacier water is, would get into the glacier water and then start to laugh as he's pulling the raft away. Well, I'm like hyperventilating. And all I got is thoughts of death in my head. I'm like, <laughs> so he finally recognizes the sign of panic on this farm boy's face. And he's like, oh, maybe I should not do that. And I'm like, maybe you should not do that. But you know what it's like to be without breath. But have you ever been particularly grateful for breath? Have you ever been particularly grateful for the sunshine? I am a white man. Now, I know that that's like Caucasian, okay, fine. No, I am like a white Caucasian, okay? So I don't let my skin see the sun except for my arms and my face. Everything else on me is like, if you like popped my back, my whole body would be like a glow stick, okay? That's, that's my whiteness, right? So I'm on a trip just the past two weeks ago, and I was <laughs> sitting in the sun without my shirt on because apparently I wasn't supposed to know anybody there, but it ends up a priest does always know somebody, so the people who are camping next to me happened to be a brother of a person who was in my parish, like, Father Jared, and I'm like, I'm white. <laughs> it was really bad. It was really bad. I sat outside three days in a row in the sun like a cat, thinking maybe some of my whiteness would go away. But if you are white, you know that there's only two colors for white people. It's either red or white, right? <laughs> so I sat facing the sun, and here's the point I'm making, thanking God for the sun. I did. It was a spiritual moment. I was thanking God for the heat of the sun. It was really a beautiful thing. And then I turned my back over, and I was on a picnic table, and I let my back. Well, my camper has little tiny mirrors. You can't see anything, anything in it. So I went home where my, I have my big bathroom mirror, and I noticed that I got sunburned, but my sunburn was red right here and right here 
but I was white on the sides. I looked like a red Oreo. It was really funny. But have you thanked God for the gift of sun, for the gift of gravity? You know, it's easy to have a bad day. Have you ever taken stock of existence? The ability to exist, to be, and thank God for the gift of being. You are a gift. And Jesus Christ told us that the only adequate gift is the gift of self. So St. Paul says that we need to have in us the same attitude that's in Jesus Christ. What was the attitude of Jesus Christ? That even though he was God, he did not deem equality as something to grasp at. Now, high schoolers understand what jealousy is. We recognize that whenever you see somebody on your team getting a a representation for, you know, the fastest runner or for doing whatever, they're the MVP, you're kind of like, good for you, jerk. I mean, seriously, you know, I'm not trying to say that we always do that, but we know what jealousy is. We know what it's like whenever someone else gets an accolade, and then I feel like I'm always left out in the cold. And it's easy for us to think that we want to have something more, but Jesus Christ did not deem equality with God as something to be grasped at. In other words, he was okay becoming human. Now, I just got a puppy. Her name's Serafina. She is totally awesome. She's a little lasso-opso. Isn't that a fun word to say? Got to say that with me. One, two, three. Lasso-opso. One, two, three. Is this just a fun word? Lasso-opso. And it's L-H-A-S-O. It's even spelled cool. Like, lasso-opso. It's very fun. Very fun. And I love my little lasso-opso, but I would never want to become a lasso-opso to save all lasso-opso kind. <laughs> love them, but I'm not going to become a dog. God loves us and became a man. He became human on our behalf. The attitude that we have in Jesus is the only adequate gift, is a gift of self. Jesus Christ emptied himself, poured himself out poured himself out for us. And he says to us this great line from St. Paul, I don't want what you have. You know, have you ever heard someone talk like if a priest talked about money or building projects or stuff like that, you know, that's one of those homilies where you're kind of like, shut off the microphone, right? But if you've ever heard a priest talk about that, sometimes you'll hear some people sort of complain about that. All they talk about is money. All they want is money. It's always about stuff, 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 all that kind of stuff. St. Paul was talking to the Corinthians actually about a gift, They were collecting money for the poor in Jerusalem. And as they were collecting money for the poor in Jerusalem, he would go around and he would talk about this gift and says, you know, we want you to be a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. But people started to complain about him talking about money. And he says, look, I don't want what you have. I only want you. You're not needed, right? But God said you're wanted. He says, I don't want what you have. I want you. On the day that a husband is married, he says, it's not about me. I want you. The words for marriage are new now. And rather than saying, take this ring as a sign of my love and fidelity, you know, if I take, you're in the front row, dude, sorry. If I take, take something from you, it's a violent act to take. I just want to start going... But now the word is not take, the word is receive. Take is me doing something to you, but what is receive? It's me receiving something from you. Receive means you're giving and I am receiving. The gift of self is what marriage is about. The gift of self is what priesthood is about. The gift of self is what religious life is about. The gift of self is what Christianity is about. I don't want what you have. I only want you. And the reason why we know this, the attitude that Jesus Christ came, and this is a beautiful picture, is the attitude of the cross. It wasn't just that Jesus was emptied out for us. He was literally poured out for us. He was broken and beaten and bruised. He had nails shoved through the nerve endings of his wrist. He had nails shoved through the bones of his feet. It wasn't enough that Jesus just became man. 
as a man, he became despised. As being despised, he became a criminal. As being a criminal, he was violently treated and demeaned and humiliated, all because he wanted the punishment to go on him and not on us. And one of the Psalms that Jesus quoted actually says, I am a worm and no man, a worm. Jesus was treated like a worm, even thrown into the dirt of a tomb. And the gift of self is what St. Paul captures whenever he says, for your sake he became poor, although he was rich, so that by his poverty you might become rich. God emptied himself. And it wasn't enough that he just emptied himself dying on a cross. Do you know what his last gift was before he died? What was his last gift? What was the last thing he gave away? The thing he held on to the very end, what was the last thing he gave away? Mary. He had his mom until the end. He's like, I'm keeping mom. It's like, you can have my clothes, throw dice. That's right. It's kind of awkward. I'm nude. I'm hanging on a cross. A um, little awkward. You can have my clothes. I keep my mom until I'm seconds away from giving up my breath. And then I'm like, now you can have her. Okay, now you can have her. And he says to John, behold your mother. And to John, woman, behold your son. On that day, he gave away his most precious thing, his own mom, to be our mom. And if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, after he died on the cross, he still allowed his body to be mistreated. A soldier took a spear and shoved it in his side. Now, I want you to think about that. It's a particular act of weird to harm a dead body. I mean, can you imagine you're like at a funeral and you're seeing somebody pulling out a knife and like sticking the guy? <laughs> Seriously, like, see, will he twitch? <laughs> like, dude, stop that. I mean, if you're desecrating a dead body, you know, movies know this, right? If you really want to know that a guy's a really wicked guy, it's not enough that they just shoot him, cap him. But they have to do it, what? Five times, right? <laughs> I'm really bad. Because you were dead and then I made you dead. You know, I don't know. Once again, I'm white. And I tried to not be white for a second, so I apologize. <laughs> Jesus Christ gave his own dead body so that water and blood would come out, the signs of baptism and Eucharist, so that we would understand that his total gift of self is so total that we receive his flesh and blood in the Eucharist, going back to Melchizedek, whose only adequate gift at the time was bread and wine, foreshadowing the fact that the Eucharist is God's gift of self to us. And like at a wedding, when a husband gives the cake to the wife, Jesus weds our soul every time we're at Mass, giving us his very flesh in union with him. Stewardship is recognizing that God gave himself to us, so how dare we give anything less than ourselves to someone else? The only gift that we really have to give is the gift of ourself, and this is actually the life of the Trinity. Whenever we think of the Trinity, the Trinity is three persons in one God who so completely give themselves that they share the same divinity even though they have individual personhood. They do not lose their identity even though they give themselves totally away, but in giving themselves totally away, they become totally who they are. And we're in a society today that's so radically individualistic that it actually says to you that if you get married, that old ancient institution, do you believe in the institution of marriage? We have such a denigration to the gift of marriage that people think that by giving myself away, I actually lose who I am. But we who are Christian understand that when we give ourselves away, we find our greatest fulfillment. We find the fact that we are so precious that people can love us all our life. The Trinity is the gift of personhood between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and stewardship is our likeness to that. Here's some Greek for you. So St. Paul says, as each one received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Now, that's a very famous line whenever it comes to stewardship, as each one's received a gift, use it as good stewards of God's very grace, right? But one of the things that you don't know is that God has a plan for salvation. He's got a plan. 
His plan was to restore all things in Christ, says St. Paul. His, his plan was, yeah, they're going to sin, but they're going to get forgiven in Jesus Christ and the death of the cross. God's plan in Greek is called an oikonomia. Oikonomia. God's oikonomia is a plan. But did you under, know that the word for steward in Greek is oikonomos? The same word, but an oikonomos has a part to play in God's oikonomia. God made you an oikonomos. He gave each of you a little task in his plan, which is the oikonomia. Football season is upon us. The only thing better than the football season, my, in my honest opinion, is March Madness. But, you know, we'll go with that. Whoop, whoop. I take the first 64 off every year because I love watching 64 games. It's like being a basketball junkie for 48 hours. Because you always get the last, like, 10 minutes of each game. That's awesome. All right. So. But we recognize that in football or in basketball, everybody has a part to play, right? The oikonomia is what the coach has. The oikonomos is what each person has in a role. You are an oikonomos in God's oikonomia. You have a role to play in the plan of God. You were so designed that who you are, as you are, wanted by God, has a purpose. That is a radical act of faith. You have a purpose that only you can do. As a matter of fact, the purpose that God has given you is so much your responsibility that if you fail to live your purpose, no one else can take your place. No one else can do it for you. No one else is you. You are the only one who can do what God has asked you to do. And if you don't do it, that part of the plan dies with you. Because you're an oikonomos and God's oikonomia. This plan is called the lay apostolate. So laity and clergy, I'm a clergy, laity are persons who have not been given over to religious vows. The laity are the people of the church, the people of God. And the church says that everybody in, the, in, the, in laity has a role to play inside the church. This particular quote from the, from the Code of Canon Law says that because of baptism and confirmation, you, right now, not your parents, you yourself, have an obligation and a right to make sure that the divine message of salvation is spread. An obligation and a right. And the church gets a little snarky with us. Gets a little snarky with a lady because it says this, the middle quote. The member who fails to make his proper contribution to the development of the church must be said to be useful neither to himself nor to the church. Ba-bam. That's in a document from Vatican II called Apostolicum Axiosiatatum. It's hard to say because it's like a really funky word. But the member who fails to make his proper contribution to the development of the church must be said to be useful neither to the church nor to himself. Which is basically what I just said. You have been given a role to play in the salvation of souls, so much so that if you don't do it, no one else can do it. And you will find joy in the gift of self whenever you recognize that you are unique, and in your uniqueness you can serve in a particular way. This lay apostolate can happen in two ways. You can work in the church or out of the church. So this entire conference is put on by laymen and women. They have dedicated themselves to this year in and year out with their intelligence, with their gifts, with their talents, with their abilities, the ability to teach like Bo Bonner does, the ability to serve like Salvador does, the ability to be able to schedule all of this, this is all done by lay faithful. They're doing this in the church for the church. Persons can work in the church, teachers in Catholic grade school, secretaries inside an office, youth ministers in CYM, all sorts of people can work for the church. So you are called to do stuff for the church, but the church goes on to say that it's not in the church where you're supposed to primarily do it. You're supposed to primarily be a gift in the world. So you yourself, and I'm not talking above you, I'm talking to you. You yourself are called to make the gospel present where only you can go. I am a 45-year-old man. I turned 45 like two Tuesdays ago. Thank you. I had one person said, dude, I thought you looked like 30. I'm like, great. And then I had another friend said, hey, congratulations on being 50. I'm like, that sucks. What are you doing to me? <laughs> Am I old? Am I young? I don't understand, you know? So whenever it comes to being in the world, this is a great quote. Where only you can make it present and operative. I will never be in the situation of your high school youth as you will be in your situation high school youth. This means that you are helping to protect people's dignity when the teachers aren't watching. 
This means that you're going to help protect people's dignity whenever you're going through the mall, whenever you're at a movie theater, whenever you're on a football team, whenever you're on a, a soccer team, whenever you're on a wiffle ball team, whatever you do. Wiffle ball. That's another fun word. Let's all say that. One, two, three, wiffle. One, two, three. Wiffle. Isn't that just fun? Wiffle. Just say wiffle. One, two, three. Wiffle. Wiffle. It's like lasso, lasso. Wiffle. I mean, who came up with that word? It's like, that's a ball. No, it's a wiffle ball. <laughs> Why are you calling it? Because it goes whiff. Yeah, that's fun. That's whiff. Wiffle ball. You guys are going to go to bed tonight and you're going to be thinking to yourself, wiffle ball. <laughs> Fields of the apostolate. Every sport has a court, a field, or whatever else. You are called to preach the gospel in your family, in your friends, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your parish, in the university. How many of you are going to go to college next year? Over 60% of high school youth who are Catholic who go to college stop practicing their faith within the first three months. Welcome to the worst place in the entire society to be able to practice your faith. And you've got to make a choice right now. Are you going to be Catholic at college or are you going to follow the world in college? Are you going to stand out or are you going to go with the flow? Sorry to be a little serious with that, but you are at risk. If I was a general in an army and tell the soldiers, like, oh, we're going to put you on that battlefield, but don't worry, it's not going to be that bad, and they get their head blown off, they'd be like, you said not to worry. I know. (laughs) You're going to college. Don't get your head blown off. University media. And Scott Hahn, Scott Hahn's the one who came up with those. He's been evangelized. You don't have to work on Scott Hahn. So now stewardship and discipleship, these things all go together. And we can ask the question, what's the difference between discipleship and stewardship? So here's the difference. Discipleship is to married love what stewardship is to family love. You guys do not love your parents with the same love that your mom loves your dad. That would be weird if you did. Really weird. As a matter of fact, I think they call it a sin. They call it a matron. Never mind. It's really weird. But you do know that there's a family love and there's a parental love, a spousal love. Well, a spouse loves a spouse with the total gift of self that can express itself in the ultimate gift of sex inside marriage. But a family type of love is a gift of self that expresses it in generous service to one another. Discipleship is the gift of self that you have to Jesus Christ. It is unique, it is special, it is a one-time gift that you give in a unique way that you don't give in other ways to other people. You put your faith in Christ in a way different than you put your faith in other people. Stewardship is family love. It is your responsibility for all those who love Jesus Christ to be able to live the life of faith in the world around them. So just like whenever I was growing up, we had chores. And I'll tell you what, I don't know. How many of you have chores here? How many of you get an allowance? Blows my mind. I, I, I got allowance. Like if I didn't do my chores, I'm like, I'm out money. So you guys like go up to your mom and like, give us money and they give you money? I go up to mom and dad, they're like, give me money. And they're like, well, go paint the house. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> that's why you got a job, right? And don't ask mom no. But here's the point. Family love is taking on a role and a responsibility in an act of generous service to one another. That is stewardship in the church. You are called to give yourself in stewardship to the church. Without you, the church is less. So discipleship and stewardship go hand in hand. Discipleship is one of your, is your identity in Jesus Christ. Discipleship is I believe in Jesus and I want to conform myself to Christ. That's discipleship. Stewardship is about your mission. Stewardship is how you specifically serve the church. So in my family, I told you that my oldest brother is a priest, my second oldest brother is a nuclear engineer, I'm a priest, and I have a plumber, and then I have an architectural engineer. Each of us coming from the same family have a unique set of gifts. Even though Father David and I are the same, anybody who knows Father David knows that we don't do priesthood the same. I'm much more erratic. <laughs> kind of crazy. A little neurotic. I could go on. But the point is this. How you live your discipleship is unique to you. You know, one person said, and you guys probably have heard this before, being a saint is being who you are and being that perfectly well. And saints are weird people. As a matter of fact, we're all weird. You know? Have you ever felt, like, weird? Like, 
I'm not even like my friends, you know? And I think that a lot of times there's cliques in high school just because we don't want to be like them. They're so lame, they're stupid. Whenever it's kind of like, I just want to be like that. If I'm like that, then I'm gonna like get a disease. It's kind of like that Skittle commercial. You ever seen that Skittle commercial? It's like, are they contagious? You know, and she like eats one and he's like, no. And she's got Skittles on her face. You guys know the commercial I'm talking about? Yeah, it's a great way to learn what contagious means, right? Well, you're supposed to be contagious, but you are unique to who you are. You are unique to who you are. And you have a mission. You're an aquinomos and God's aquinomia. You have a role to play that only you can do. And God designed you specifically to carry out that role. If you yourself don't do that role, no one can do it in your place. And God didn't do that to make you have to bribe him for his love. He loves you because he wants you. You are loved for who you are, but in his love, he made you utterly unique. And so living this life is to live the kerygma. The kerygma is a funky word for saying the basic message of the gospel. And you guys know what the kerygma is. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that all who believe in him might not perish but might have eternal life. What you are called to do in your stewardship is not give or take or receive. What you're called to do is preach, to live the life of a Christian such that other people can be inspired by you to live the life of a Christian. And that life has five parts, and this is going to make this kerygma easy to remember. The kerygma, the basic message of the gospel, has five parts. And it starts with God's life or God's love. God loves you. He loved you into existence. He loved you for yourself, not because you have anything to give him, but because you yourself are a value to him for yourself. You are the only reason you exist is because God exists and loves you in you. Because you know that, you know that you're a gift, but you also know that we made mistakes. And in Jesus Christ, we were redeemed from sin. Jesus Christ came to forgive us from our sins. The reason why he entered into the world was to sit there and say, you're all right. The woman caught in adultery, which would be really awkward to be caught in adultery. Have you ever been caught doing something by your parents you're like, you shouldn't be doing? I remember I did that once. I shouldn't have been doing something. I'm not going to tell you what I was doing because it would be like a whole sin to do what I did and because you'd have to see what I did and it's really weird. But mom walked in whenever I was doing it and then I'm just like, dang it. And you feel really, really small. Or it's kind of like watching a movie with your parents that you're not supposed to be watching. And it like comes up on the scene and you're just like, oh my gosh, my mom's right there. Hey, don't you hate that moment? You know what it's like to feel caught, right? Well, Jesus Christ came to this woman in adultery, not to catch her in adultery, but to forgive her. And then he turns to her and says, go and sin no more. Jesus Christ redeems you from sin, and this is good news. You're not Catholic to feel guilty. You're Catholic to feel free. To feel free. And this happens because Jesus Christ came. Advent means to come. Jesus Christ came. And we become disciples of Jesus Christ, and whenever we confess his name... And when we do all this, loving God, being forgiven for our sin, professing Jesus' name, when we do all these things, then we receive eternal life. You are saved by grace. Grace saves you. God's life, God's love, God's gift of self saves you. And when we recognize that, we receive this in gratitude and we share that gift of grace with other people. And so Saint, I'm sorry, so Pope Francis calls you to a mission. He says the kerygma is not an optional contribution, but is the first and fundamental way of serving. The whole point of church, of the people of God, is to preach Jesus Christ for the salvation of souls. And beyond that, he says, I dream of a missionary option. I think he got that line from Martin Luther King Jr. I dream of a missionary. That is the missionary impulse capable of transforming everything. Parishes must become more mission-oriented. You are called to be on mission. So the other day, I had a high school sophomore come into my office. This particular high school sophomore was at a retreat in Benedictine on evangelization. And she was on that one too. It's not her. She didn't come into my office. But he was on this retreat and he went on prayer and action. He also went on totus tuus. And all these experiences were starting to really overwhelm him. And he recognized that he was supposed to do something about all this. So he comes into my office, he sits down into my office, and he says, Father, he says, I've been to this retreat, I've been to prayer and action, I've been here, and this is what the Holy Spirit's doing inside me. He says, so, can you tell me a way that I can do evangelization at St. Francis? Awesome question. So I went through a list of about five different options that this high school sophomore had. 
be able to help at RCIA, work with Discovering Christ, be able to do things with CYM, to be able to be on the Evangelization Committee, to be able to be on the Stewardship Council, different things that he was going to be able to do to do evangelization. Then he says to me this, and this is where stewardship comes in. He says to me this. He says, well, as I was praying, I recognized that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And whenever I heard that, Father, I realized that I'm supposed to ask you what you want me to do, and I will just say yes. So I said, fine. I said, I want you to go to RCIA because there's four kids there who are professed atheists who are only going to RCA because their dad's forcing them. He said, I'll do it. And then I said, I also want you to work on this evangelization committee. He said, I'll do it. And he walked away. He took a risk so that he can transform the parish and he was a sophomore. You now have a role to play in your parish. Do not pretend it's anybody else's responsibility. You have the right to go to your priest. You have the responsibility to do something about it. If you don't like the way Mass is celebrated at your church, ask the priest how you can help with that. If you don't like how youth ministry is going, ask the priest how you can get involved. Ask your youth minister how you can involve. You yourself have the ability to transform everything and to become mission-oriented. We saw two girls up here earlier who were preaching the word of God by inviting you in to do something to transform the world through mission. This is our church. This is you, and you yourself can get up in front of people for the first time with a microphone and still do that. You can do it. Stop waiting. Don't wait. You're a steward now. You're a disciple now. You're an evangelist now. So stewardship must be be subordinated to discipleship, and discipleship must be mission-oriented in its outlook. So in the end, stewardship is like the Sea of Galilee versus the Sea of uh, the Dead Sea. So the Dead Sea is dead because no water leaves the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is alive because water goes in and comes out. You are called not to be the Dead Sea. You are not called to receive and never give anything. If you do that, you will be a Dead Sea. But if you receive the life of God and you give that life of God out, then you will always be fresh in the life of grace. God calls you to be like the Sea of Galilee, filled with life, overflowing with love, so that you and those you serve are filled with joy. Let's end with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless, guys. Thank you.